You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. And today we are going to talk about uh, the American College of Cardiology guidelines on triple therapy, the uh, the bane of any every anticoagulation specialist out there of the patient who has to be on both anticoagulants as well as antiplatelet agents because they have both thrombotic disease or atrial fibrillation and now they have coronary disease. And these, I can tell you, are extremely challenging patients. And so this is a welcome update to therapy, which we'll get to in just a second. Before we do that, thank you for listening. Thanks for taking the time. Head on over to uh, where you like, listen to your uh, podcast, hit a like if you haven't already done that. Please subscribe if you haven't already done that. And as we always say, head over to CE Impact. Uh, take a uh, look at the many great CE programs they got there, very reasonably priced, including ours, which uh, again, you get to get uh, uh, CE for just listening to me la- blather on and, and answer a simple question. And, and we you can just listen while you're driving to work and, and pick that up. I, I just can't, there's got to be, uh, there, there can't be too many more easy ways to get CE that I hope is also actually <laughs> clinically pertinent to you. Wouldn't that be great if it was both cheap and clinically pertinent? Yeah, let's let's go for that. So, so yeah, so please head on over and do that. But there's also tons of other great programs, including this uh, uh, CE, uh, the CE Impact Expo that's coming up here in just uh, less than a month now, actually just a couple weeks. So if you haven't had a chance, head on over there. There's uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to speak there many times, and as always, if you take a look at the lineup, great, great, great uh, uh, programming there. Uh, certainly, right, right up to the minute uh, stuff that, that that really will help impact your practice. So um, head on over, check it out. Today we are going to talk about the updated guidelines on on triple therapy, essentially. So um, again, this is something I've seen many times in my career. My guess is many of you as well. You've got the patient who is on warfarin because they have atrial fibrillation, they've been on warfarin for many years, everything's going terrific, and then they have a heart attack and they have chest pain and they go to the emergency room and they go to the hospital and they get percutaneous coronary intervention and they now are on an aspirin and they're on a P2Y drug like. Uh, clopidogrel and they're on warfarin and now the next question is what do we do now um, because we have really solid data that shows that 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 tr- so-called triple therapy is like putting a gigantic uh, sign on your forehead that says, please give me a major bleed. Uh, studies have suggested that the risk of in, in one year of having a major bleed on being on, on warfarin and dual antiplatelet therapy approaches 50%. And that's just an incredibly high percentage. Other studies have suggested 20 to 30%, but even that is just unbelievably high. So I think it over always caused a lot of, of nervousness and, 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 and scariness when those you know, when that information came out of what the incredibly high risk of bleed was in these patients that, you know, how, how are we going to do that? How are we, are we going to treat these patients? And so this is, again, a, 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 a welcome set of guidelines. Uh, like all the uh, uh, ACC guidelines and CHESS guidelines, uh, they, you know, take a look at the literature, they uh, ask uh, uh, clinical questions, they then uh, get consensus among their experts. Uh, they do a lit search and, and try and get the latest information and they use that, that information. Uh, sometimes they do their own their own meta-analyses on the information they pull to try and get the latest information and, and, and look and see where the benefit versus risk lies and and they make the recommendations. So um, uh, what you know? What are some of the big things? And and I uh, will will uh, put the in fact uh, we'll, we'll put the um, 
guideline uh, link in the show notes. Uh, what I love about these guidelines is is I'm I'm, I'm an algorithm guy. I love my I love me my algorithms, and uh, they, they have uh, algorithms that basically literally walk you through it, and they're even color coded. So like if for some reason you couldn't actually be bothered to read what was in the little boxes, if you just knew what the colors were, you knew what what uh, therapy the the guidelines were recommending. So I don't think they could make it possibly any easier. I understand that they're actually working on an app as well that you can get uh, from from them that you'll be able to just basically punch in what's going on with the patient and it'll kind of walk you through. So that's kind of nice uh, for, for that. But even those of you who, you know, who, if you don't want to wait for that or you're, you're not a big app person or whatever, um, yeah, again, I think if you, if you could literally just just copy these uh, or print off these these algorithms and keep it in your pocket or whatever, or keep it in your in your peripheral brain for those of us who walk around with peripheral brains, um, I think you, you, it would be terrific and, and would really walk you through a lot of the answers of what to do. In general, they I think the the, the big um, message to be taken from the guidelines is they they really 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 recommend against routine use of triple antithrombotic therapy for most patients because of this high risk of bleed. They say you know okay if you had some patient who was an incredibly high risk of 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 clot and was at very very low risk of bleed, you could consider triple antithrombotic therapy for up to thirty days after the. After a PCI is done, but on the whole, triple therapy is not recommended. And in, and in most cases, probably the most intense therapy that the patient is going to get, get is going to be the combination of an anticoagulant, so either a warfarin or a DOAC, or and plus a P2Y drug. So uh, the aspirin is, is in that in that therapy is really kind of going away. That stands to reason because you know when someone is on a P2Y drug, that's where they drive most of their benefit anyway. And aspirin is really providing very little benefit and really jacking up the 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 risk of particularly gastrointestinal bleeds. But other bleeds as well, so that's that that that's something that they point out. Now, in the last couple of years, there's been guidelines from from ACC that have talked about about length of therapy with dual dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, you know, uh, it seems like only even just a couple of years ago, the the kind of the 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 hard and fast rule was that almost everybody was 12 months. If you had a dual uh, a drug eluting stent placed, that you were that you bought yourself 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. That's shifting as as uh, as we're using using different types of, of, of dual antiplatelet therapy strategies, as well as the, the much more common use of much less thrombotic stents. And so, you know, the newer generation stents that are coming out there are less and less thrombotic, which is terrific. Um, as I've always, I always tell my students that technology and, and devices are really where we're, we, we're going to see the biggest gains in, in acute treatment of acute coronary syndromes. And I think that, that this is a good example of that. And so, uh, you know, because of that, there's, there, there's been some shift about, you know, how long patients, um, um, uh, should be on them, and that's kind of beyond the scope of this guidelines. But they do they do touch on that, and I and I would I would refer listeners to those guidelines um, of 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 uh, dual antiplatelet therapy length because that that is that is shifting in the kind of hard and fast. Everybody gets one year is 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 less and less true, and will probably be less and less true just in the next two or three years as well. If you had a patient who had to be on an anticoagulant and a dual antiplatelet agent, they do call out clopidogrel over the other. Uh, 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 P2I drugs or over, over prazogrel or ticagrelor. Um, and that's important because ticagrelor is kind of the, 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 
usually recommended uh, uh, P2I drug, especially in someone who's had an acute coronary syndrome. Uh, data from, from the PLATO studies shows that it's probably superior to, to clopidogrel in some outcomes. So it's, it's kind of one that's kind of been kind of been recommended. Uh, community pharmacists know that it's also the one they end up having to call insurance companies on because they don't pay for it. And end up having a lot of these patients end up having to get switched over to clopidogrel anyway because that's cheap and generic. But uh, uh, they, they point out that the clopidogrel is, if you're if someone has to be on a DOAC or warfarin, they do recommend clopidogrel over the others uh, because we have most of the data with that combination. We have almost no data with the more potent P2I drugs like Ticagrelor. They do call out also that that pharmacogenomic testing for clopidogrel uh, is not recommended. I completely agree with that. The, the data, to my eye, has never shown that 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 uh, uh, genomic guided therapy really helps in 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 in, in these patients as well. They do note that that when you're using aspirin in combination with an, with an anticoagulant, the dose should never be above 100. And so in the United States, that means 81 milligrams. Uh, one of the most common things I'm forever telling my, my patients and my residents, or my, I'm sorry, my students and my residents, is that there's really only a couple of reasons why someone needs to be on full-dose aspirin, and that's an acute MI, an acute stroke. And after that, they can be on a baby aspirin forever. There's, there's really no benefit to being on a full-dose aspirin, and all it does is increase your risk of bleed. So... Um, so they 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 talk about that, and then they 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 kind of go into um, uh, the these four different categories. They say, okay, you've got a patient who um, is is uh, who, who's on has atrial fibrillation and is on an, an anticoagulant and now needs percutaneous coronary intervention. So that's kind of, you know, scenario one that they use. Scenario two is you have a patient who's on a plant antiplatelet agent, and now they're diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. So they're treat they're on an antiplatelet agent for coronary disease, and now they're, 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 they've just got diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. And then they look at thrombosis. So you have a patient who has a history of venous thromboembolism, who's taking anticoagulation for venous thromboembolism, and now, again, has had a heart attack or has had acute coronary syndrome, and is, is now needs PCI. Or you've got the patient who uh, um, has, again, been on antiplatelet therapy um, um, for coronary disease and now has a new venous thromboembolism. How do you treat them? So four, I think, the most common scenarios that you're probably going to run into clinically, and 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 they they, they break the, the, the treatment down kind of into. And then, of course, as you might imagine, there's there's a lot of similarities, you know, between some of the other, some of the, the, the four different scenarios. But I think it's, it's really worth taking kind of a deep dive in, in, into each of these. So I, if there's some repeat, I apologize again. These are these are all part of the algorithms that are that are part of the guidelines, and and I really like the way these are set up. Uh, again, color coded and everything, and the way that the algorithms are kind of set up is is once the decision tree is started, it's a timeline. So you've got the you know right you know uh, the around the PCI. Or um, after the after the procedure is done, and then long term, how do you, how do you treat these patients? So, the first one, and I think the one that that I I tend to see a lot of is is the patient who's been on oral anticoagulation for atrial fibrillation, so either uh, a, a, a warfarin or a DOAC, and now needs PCI. So they either either they're getting um, 
they have stable coronary disease and they're, and they're getting uh, a PCI uh, electively, or it's an emergent because they're actually having a heart attack and acute coronary syndrome and, and they're being treated. And, and again, there's a difference there because, because people who get standard for stable coronary disease do not need, generally do not need to be on, on dual antiplatelet therapy after their stents are placed for nearly as long. So the first, the first thing they say is, you know, um, if at all possible, uh, if it, once, once the call has been made, okay, this person's going to need antiplatelet therapy they and they say this throughout the guidelines that that you should probably try and get them off of warfarin and get them on a doac uh, they actually prefer doacs in combination on the antiplatelet therapies and the reason for that is just that the overall risk of bleed across the board with doacs is much less and the studies that have been more recently done particularly with rivaroxaban but 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 some of the others as well uh, have looked at 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 uh, um uh, um uh, DOACs in, in combination with, with, with the P2Y drug. So for all those reasons, they say, if at all possible, see if you can get the patient off of warfarin and onto DOAC. Of course, cost might be an issue there. Drug interactions may be an issue there. Uh, it, you know, the patient factors may be, be, be an issue there as, as well. But at, that occurs right after the procedure. The guidelines do say pretty much across the board that if somebody is going to be on any antiplatelet agent and an anticoagulant, they need to have some sort of gastric protection because of the high risk of GI bleed. Um, um, the, and so they, they say start or continue a proton pump inhibitor or H2 blocker. Uh, my personal opinion is I would not use an H2 blocker because I think the data is, is poor compared to proton pump inhibitors. And while the cogent study uh, purportedly uh, uh, showed that, 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 that beta blocker or that, that uh, clopidogrel and proton pump inhibitors don't seem to have a big interaction, it's worth noting that the FDA still has a, a, a warning in the package insert of both omiprazole and esomiprazole about uh, uh, patients who are taking uh, clopidogrel and the fact that those drugs block 2C19, and that's how clopidogrel is activated into its active form. Um, I think the cogent study was really poorly done. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it, it was never actually designed to look at that outcome. It was underpowered. And so, since we have multiple proton pump inhibitors, I've I've always kind of uh, hewed uh, a bit conservatively there and said I would pick a non-omiprazole, non-esomiprazole proton pump inhibitor. Again, that's my personal opinion. That's not in the guidelines. The guidelines just say proton pump inhibitor, but uh, that's kind of my reading of the literature on that. So now you've got someone who's got a, uh, has a drug eluting stand in and has stable uh, coronary disease. They recommend continuing the, the, the oral anticoagulant and continuing the P2Y drug. Uh, for at least six months. And again, they do recommend clopidogrel. Um, and then for the next six months, they say you can either stay on clopidogrel or switch to aspirin. You, you have your choice. And then at 12 months, go ahead and stop uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, antiplatelet therapy and continue the, the uh, oral anticoagulant. Again, they prefer a DOAC indefinitely. And then if the PCI was due, it was needed for acute coronary syndromes, there's no option to switch to aspirin at six months. You basically continue clopidogrel for, for a year, continue the oral anticoagulant and at that point stop the antiplatelet agent and continue the oral anticoagulant indefinitely. So that's the atrial fib patient who had who has a diet has the need for PCI. Well, what if a patient is on 
on antiplatelet therapy, either because it's primary prevention of atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease, or they have a history of stable disease or a history of acute coronary disease or stroke. How are we going to approach these patients? Well, now they have a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation, and you need to make the determination whether they are a candidate for oral anticoagulation, which is beyond the scope of this 20-minute talk. But assuming that, that, that they are, and you're going to start them on oral anticoagulant, you need to ask yourself, why do they need to be on the antiplatelet agent? So the guidelines say that if the patient is just primary prevention, so they've, they've never actually had a known stable ischemic heart disease or have never had a, had, a, had a heart attack or a stroke, they say just start the oral anticoagulant and stop aspirin. And that's something I'm continually working with my providers on is that uh, oral anticoagulants are actually excellent uh, anti-ischemic drugs. Uh, back in the 70s, studies were done with warfarin in patients who had heart attacks, and they really were only abandoned in the 80s when, when studies like the Physician's Heart Study came out that showed that aspirin was as effective as warfarin, and as you might imagine, far safer and far easier to do. And that's why warfarin was kind of abandoned as a treatment for, 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 for coronary disease. But these drugs are actually really effective for, 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 uh, for uh, um, um, arterial uh, uh, disease or arterial vascular disease. So, um, so the patient who's just taking an aspirin at age because or because they're 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 at high risk because of risk factors. You start the oral anticoagulant, stop the antiplatelet therapy. If they uh, have stable ischemic disease and um, have had a uh, uh, had a prior PCI, uh, basically if if they've uh, had a recent stent in place, there's some change. Of what to do, you can you again uh, 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 continue the uh, uh, oral anticoagulant, and they do across the board recommended DOAC is preferred, and then uh, uh, stop uh, aspirin and and have them on on clopidogrel for a period of time afterwards, and then once the standard drug uh, and uh, uh, dual antiplatelet therapy time is completed, stop the antiplatelet agents and just continue the the clopidogrel. If it's been more than 12 months since they've had their their stent in place, it's just like uh, primary prevention. You start the oral anticoagulant, you stop the antiplatelet therapy. If they have a history of, of uh, acute coronary syndrome, uh, then if they had a stent place, you do the dual antiplatelet therapy with clopidogrel and the oral anticoagulant. And then when that time is up, just uh, uh, stop the, the P2I drug and continue the oral anticoagulant. If they have a history of cerebral vascular disease, um, uh, that's pretty much the same. You would start oral anticoagulants and stop the antiplatelet therapy. And then if they have a history of peripheral arterial disease or or a recent stent placed uh, for either peripheral arterial disease or they have a car car carotid stent placed because of uh, cerebral vascular disease, uh, you would start the oral anticoagulant and, and uh, uh, continue the, the, the uh, uh, clopidogrel, so just clopidogrel and the oral anticoagulant until the time period, that the standard time period of dual antiplatelet therapy has been completed, and then just continue the oral anticoagulant. So the bottom line is at the end of a year of having a stent in, there should be almost nobody who is on antiplatelet therapy and oral anticoagulation. That uh, that pretty much across the board, oral anticoagulation is, is going to take the rule here after the 12 months of having a stent placed, um, or six to 12 months, depending on on, on the situation, basically. Then we get to uh, venous thromboembolism. So someone who is who's um, been on uh, who has a prior venous thromboembolism, so a DVT or PE, and now uh, might need a PCI. Now, certainly, if 
if they've reached the duration where the oral anticoagulation prescription time is, is completed, three to six months for, for example, a, a provoked DVT, you can just go ahead and stop uh, the, the oral anticoagulant. But if that isn't the case, if, if it's, if it's uh, someone who needs to be on long-term oral anticoagulation, um, if it's an elective uh, procedure, they say, well, okay, could, could we uh, uh, wait until uh, the, the treatment is complete with the oral anticoagulant? But if the answer is no, they're going to be on, for example, lifelong therapy. Um, they, they basically say to, to uh, um, continue the therapy, if uh, possible, you may you may need to. Uh, if it's emergent, obviously you're not going to be able to hold therapy, so you're basically going to con continue the therapy on, on, uh, until uh, they get the stent done. You follow the the PCI paraprocedural management pretty much the same way that we've talked about before, and then um, uh, if. Uh, uh, after the procedure, the the treatment is is the DOAC plus the P2Y drug again, or if they happen to be on warfarin, then unfortunately you might have to reverse the warfarin for the PCI, I'm sure you're going to, and then bridge them with low molecular weight heparin and then have them on clopidogrel as well. Um, and and that's basically the, 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 the treatment. They do mention again that if you're going to be on um, uh, uh, a dual or uh, antiplatelet therapy and anticoagulant therapy to start a continual proton pump inhibitor or H2 blocker, basically. And then finally, the patient who's on antiplatelet therapy who now develops a venous thromboembolism, uh, assuming that they're going to be put on anticoagulation. Again, it, it is pretty much the same as the previous algorithm that if they have, if they were only taking uh, an aspirin a day because of primary prevention, you can just go ahead and start the anticoagulation and stop the stop the antiplatelet therapy. Um, if they had a stent plate in the last six to 12 months and they need to continue that therapy, you stop the aspirin, start the anticoagulant, continue the P2Y drug, which they prefer to be clopidogrel until that time period is ended. And then, and then um, uh, you go ahead and continue the, the, the uh, um, oral anticoagulant. Um, you may, if, if it's a provoked um, a DVT or PE, three months is usually reasonable, um, which they do point out. Um, but if it's unprovoked, there's more and more data, you know, pointing out the fact that, that even though three to six months might treat the first unprovoked DVT or PE, the risk of recurrence is fairly high. And if the patient has a fairly low risk of bleed, you might want to continue uh, uh, therapy with the oral anticoagulant at much more extended, you know, you know, a, a year, maybe even lifelong, you know, or, or indefinitely, as long as the risk for bleed is, is, is relatively low. Um, if, uh, and the same with cerebral vascular disease or peripheral arterial disease, if they have a stent placed, uh, continue um, the, the clopidogrel and the anticoagulation until that time period is ended. And then if they're just on an aspirin, stop the aspirin and, and, and continue the, the anticoagulant after that period. So bottom line from the four algorithms, and again, you can you can certainly head on over to uh, to, to, to the guidelines and read them yourself. And again, I, I think, you know, taking a picture of them or, or, or have enough copy of them in your, in your, in your uh, uh, files, I think this is a pretty good thing to have is, is there's definitely some themes here is that triple therapy is pretty much gone. Triple therapy is, is, is pretty much, you know, we're, we're trying to really, really avoid it because of the unbelievably high risk of bleed that uh, if someone is on oral anticoagulation and they require now an antiplatelet therapy because they've gotten, they're going to percutaneous coronary intervention, um, um, or they are on antiplatelet therapy and now they need anticoagulation. We want to try and avoid triple therapy. Uh, you want to use uh, anticoagulation and pre preferably clopidogrel. 
uh, just for the period of time you would normally use clopidogrel as far as as, as long as a dual antiplatelet therapy regimen. So, for example, you know, six months to a year, and then stop that and just continue anticoagulation uh, in the patient if that's something they require long term. Um, and that patient should be uh, 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 on a proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers while they're on an antiplatelet therapy and an anticoagulant, and that DOACs are across the board preferred uh, over warfarin uh, for most patients. Again, not all patients. It isn't like warfarin is going to completely disappear anytime soon, but but in, in most patients, uh, uh, no acts are going to be preferred or no acts are going to be preferred because of their lower risk of bleed. So, um, you know, a lot of information, but I think I think you can kind of take to the bank the fact that 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 when you see somebody on aspirin, Plavix, or and 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 warfarin, uh, they're probably uh, at very high risk of bleed, and and uh, you have to wonder is is that risk worth it? And you have to wonder is is this something that that, that we need to discuss with 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 the provider? Um, they very well may be at that very high super risk of of, of clot, and 30 days is reasonable, but um, you know at a minimum to make sure that those patients are on on uh, gastroprotective therapy with a proton pump inhibitor. I think for the community pharmacist certainly makes sense, and at at the at the most saying, hey, you know, you've been on, you know, and I've seen this, I, you know, like, gee, you've been on Plavix and 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 Warfarin for for three years now. Has anyone ever stopped that? And I, sometimes I'm just, I'm sometimes I'm blown away by by you know patients who have theoretically been taking you know dual antiplatelet therapy for years, and it's like, well, has anyone ever said you could stop that? Nope, no one's ever said anything. So I just keep taking it. They keep refilling it. I'm like, okay, you know, um, I, I think pharmacists can really play a role. I, I I sometimes joke on my medicine service that that you know half of what I do is stopping medications. And one of the things I'm, I'm forever stopping is, you know, we don't need aspirin anymore. We, you know, the patient came in and they have atrial fib and we're sending them home on a Pixaban. They don't need be need to be on aspirin anymore. We can stop their aspirin and that's perfectly fine, you know, and and, and all we're really doing is increasing the risk of bleed in those patients. So I, I think that I think pharmacists can really take these guidelines to the bank and 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 and, and say, you know, look at me saying this, this is what what the uh, the guidelines are saying from some some pretty august bodies and they have the data to back up what they're saying. So I think that's that that's something that, that we really we really need to, to kind of discuss with providers and patients when they come to you. I mean, you know, how many patients do we know that say, you know, yeah, I've just been now one day I decided to start taking a baby aspirin and I've been taking it for 30 years. And it's like, okay, well now you have atrial fibrillation, you don't need to take the aspirin anymore. You know, um, I think we, we, we can really help with things like that. So so we'll wrap up in just a second, but first a word from our uh, our uh, producer CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So I know a lot of pharmacists. I have a lot of friends who are in the anticoagulation space. I'm sure they've already devoured these guidelines. And I suspect, if I had to guess, I haven't had a chance to talk to too many of them with COVID and stuff going on. I suspect that many of them are, would have said, yeah, I do that already. Because I think many of the anticoagulation gurus I know have, have really tried to, to try to get people off of aspirin, to try to get people off of triple therapy. But I still think this, these, are, these are, you know, if you're not familiar with these guidelines, you don't deal with anticoagulation on a, uh, you know, all the time 
on patients, you know, run a, a clinic or something. We, you know, pharmacists are always going to run into these patients who are on dual antiplatelet therapy or on triple therapy. And I think we can really make make an impact in these patients. And and you know, I mean, not not to put to find a point on it. I mean, definitely save them a hospitalization, but maybe even save their life. You know, they hit their head, and I can tell you, you know, someone comes into the to my emergency room with a massive, you know, subdural hematoma, and they've been on, you know, warfarin and plavix and aspirin. Um, you know, that's that's not a good thing, and and obviously, and and if if there was a way that you know six months before, you know, the community pharmacist could have said, yeah, I don't think they need to be on that anymore. I think we can just, you know, they they, they finished their stenting, and I think I think they can just be on their Pixaban, or they can just be on their their Rivaroxaban, or you know, whatever. You know, they may have avoided that altogether. So it'd be interesting. You know, it, you know, I, I think I think we can really help help make sure these guidelines are are, are shouted to the rooftops. Because I think it's pretty important to do. So that's it for this week. Uh, probably we'll be back next week with more COVID because by the time this is done, is done ending, I'm sure there'll be some more information out there about it. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Again, head over to uh, where you listen to your podcast, subscribe, like, and uh, spread the word and head over to CE Impact and, and uh, think about getting some CE uh, programs and help us keep the lights on. We'll catch you next week. But remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you next week.